Namaste, namaskaram, vanakam, namo namaha, jai Ganesha. Please visit our website at classicalyoga.org. And there is a donate button there if you'd like to help us out. So in our last podcast, mono versus poly, one versus two, singular versus plural, singularism versus pluralism, the battle of the ages, we went through and explored the basically two hemispheres of our brain, left and right brain, attempting to achieve a balance in the middle where we respect that sometimes we go left, sometimes we go right. And we can see how this plays out in politics and religion, in sports. And when it comes to religion, of course, that's our forte here, the classical yoga Hindu academy. We have monotheism, and people often say polytheism, but it's more accurate to say polymorphism, because theos is God. And remember that God is an Anglo-Saxon term, and it's only been around about 1,500 years, and words are important. So there's a great conversation starter. Prior to 1,500 years ago, God didn't exist. <laughs> so what do we say? And remember that when the monotheists, and especially the Christians, use the term God, they're referring to a one male creator being, because there is a female term, goddess. So we also explored the understanding that it's perfectly fine, logical, rational, to have a one religion, a one political party, one occupation. The problem comes in when we make it exclusive and deny other people their chosen religion, political party. This is where the fights come in. So just consider, for example, that Yahweh or Jehovah bless, God Jesus bless, Allah bless, can create a man-made mess. In other words, if in the religious realm we think we have the one deity with the one book, that automatically lays open the mindset of all the quote-unquote others to either simply be ignored, tolerated, or eradicated. And when thinking and compassionate people see through this one God, one book extremism, they often go to the other extreme of either completely ignoring religion altogether or becoming so-called spiritual but not religious. This is the other extreme of the universalist. And most often, the universalists are coming from, unbeknownst to them, a fundamentalist viewpoint. Keeping the same elitist mindset, they're taking something Primarily from Hinduism, yoga, chakras, kundalini, raja yoga, which they simply term meditation, but they're getting it from Hinduism, pranayama, breathing exercises. And they claim this to be the universal way and fitting into everybody's religion. This is simply the other extreme and a knee-jerk, understandable reaction to the pure fundamentalist. But there is a balance in the middle. So if you review our podcast... On mono versus poly, there's a time for mono, there's a time for poly. And we ultimately want to achieve a balance in the middle so that we understand when to use the one as an indicator and then the manyness. Always remembering that when we speak about non-duality, we're doing just that. We can't really speak about that. That's the zero experience. That's the no-thingness, a pure experience that goes beyond the body, mind, and emotions. Hence, the Hindus call this essence the Atmana. Similar in a way to soul and spirit, but 
quite a bit different also because soul and spirit in the monotheistic view still includes the mind and the emotions. Whereas the Atmana literally is not the mind, not the body, not the emotions, temporarily inhabiting a body, mind, emotions, of course, but ultimately can and will transcend them. So it's clear why New Agers, Universalists, fight with fundamentalists and vice versa. And you'll often, with the prolific YouTube videos, you'll see people who are born in a very fundamentalist view switch over and become New Age Universalists and vice versa. Prime example was Doreen Virtue, who for decades was a New Age Universalist, making lots of money selling books, and completely flipped over and became a fundamentalist Christian. So we have to consider for a moment those of us that have been involved in movements for decades and then at some point realize that they were false, what makes, we th makes us think we're not being fooled again. So it's no um, litmus test of, of wisdom to simply be doing something for decades if we're doing something that's wrong. And in our last podcast, we made clear that we need to seek a balance in the middle, like the teeter-totter, one foot to the left, one foot to the right. In other words, knowing when to go left, when to go right, know when to be conservative and when to be liberal. Remember, there's no left without right, no right without left. It's only when we're an extremist that we think the other side is completely false. And we also saw that this is basically an internal struggle within all of us, trying to understand basically the two hemispheres of our brain, which is fully explored in the Hindu yoga dharma, Hinduism, the Hindu religion. And remember, it's just that. It's the Hindu yoga, religious, spiritual, scientific, philosophical lifestyle. It's all of those things. We can't really separate out any of those. This is coming from a balanced perspective. Note, too, how the universalists will often say they're spiritual but not religious. Actually impossible, since the word spirit or spiritual refers to that which is incorporated, not the body, so literally no body can be spiritual. And very interesting, the English word spirit is really connected to the Holy Spirit of Christianity. So unbeknownst to those who say they're spiritual but not religious, there may be a lot of subconscious programming going on there. So this developing of our left and right brain in Hinduism, we call the, the Pingala and the Idda, respectively, is an understanding that no matter what our gender is, remember there's only two, male or female, that no matter what our gender, we can all experience the positives and the negatives of the masculine and the feminine brain, the left and the right. In other words, no matter what our gender, we want to strive to be Positively left brain, the masculine brain, analytical, logical, rational, thinking, religious area, and avoid the negatives, hard, crude, mean, intolerant. And again, regardless of gender, we want to be positively feminine, soft, intuitive, gentle, creative, spiritual nature, and avoid the negatives, cold, indifferent, erratic, emotional highs, depression, anxiety. With a little bit of thought, it's clear that whether we're a man or a woman, we all go through these experiences, both positive and negative. And this understanding would help eliminate much of the non-binary nonsense today. Because we're either a man or a woman, but inwardly we can, no matter what our gender, we can reflect the different personality types. No problem with that. Many men, for example, exhibit very positive 
and negative feminine qualities, and vice versa. Many women, too, exhibit very positive and negative masculine qualities. That's simply the personality. Actually, marriage, males and females coming together, is actually inwardly each one trying to understand the part of their self that they don't fully comprehend yet. So from the woman, the man learns a lot, and from the man, the woman learns a lot. Now notice those of you that have grandparents that have been together for 50, 60 years in marriage, they start to become like the other. They take on these qualities. This is a fulfilled life of a family person. So this understanding of left and right brain, masculine and feminine qualities, is also about developing our IQ and our EQ. Both are necessary to get through life. So today we'll look at some ways to help develop our IQ as well as our all-important EQ. Because obviously there are many with high IQs that have very little emotional control, empathy, and vice versa. There are those who have empathy and emotional control but may not have a very highly developed IQ. With a little reflection, I think it's much more important to have a, a strong EQ and then obviously develop our IQ to help us get through the life's journey. For there have been plenty with high IQs that have done horrific crimes throughout the ages. And there are plenty of those with a strong EQ and a very low IQ that have changed the minds of masses of people in a very healthy, positive way. For example, many of the great mystics and yogis from the Hindu yoga dharma did not have a very strongly developed IQ, but because of their deep emotional understanding and devotional understanding, were able to change the lives of many people. The famous Ramakrishna, for example, was basically illiterate, but he changed the minds of many people. So in looking at some of these ways to help develop our IQ and our EQ, perhaps to the dismay of many, much of this is found in a mature religious lifestyle. So it's important to remember that this English word religion is the general term used to describe these different traditions around the world. And it comes from the Latin root religio, which really meant simply to link back to a moral order, a sense of moral order. In the 1500s, it became strongly associated with Christianity, of course which is why many people balk at the use of the word religion, but it is the general scholarly term to describe the different traditions. And if we understand its essential meaning to link back to something spiritual, if you will, we can confidently use this word religion. To Hindus, however, the most appropriate word for us is dharma, but religion is the general term that can be used with clarification. Hindus, of course, have similar terms in dharma, which comes from dri, meaning to hold. In other words, what holds things together, what links things together. And in the Sanskrit Hindu word yoga, which means to yoke, what yokes things together, y-o-k-e, what holds things together, dri, what links things together, religio. There's a commonality, but remember that the Sanskrit Hindu words dharma and yoga are very specific to the Hindu religion. And remember, when it comes to this often misused Sanskrit Hindu word yoga, and it's sad that many of our Sanskrit Hindu terms and concepts are completely distorted and divorced from Hinduism, and this is due to those of an elitist mindset and also to lazy or complacent Hindus who really don't stand up for their own dharma. So remember that this Sanskrit Hindu word 
and also in Tamil, yoga, yogam, is a very general term within Hinduism for the very lifestyle of what it is to be a Hindu. For it means huge Atman Brahmancha, to yoke, to our Atmana, soul if you will, but remember there's a difference, and then soul source. And you can visit many of our podcasts on the understanding of the soul within Hinduism as the Atmana. And please also you can review our podcasts on what is your concept of God and Hinduism and Hindus are truly not monotheistic when we think about it because there's no theos. So this general term, yoga, within the Sanskrit Hindu dharma is the lifestyle of being a Hindu. That's why the prefix is all important because it's Hindus that follow karma yoga, Hindu ethics, bhakti yoga, Hindu devotions, raja yoga, Hindu contemplations. Remember, meditation simply means to concentrate. So the phrase meditation and yoga really don't go together. It's a wrong mix. Gyan yoga, Hindu outer studies and inner studies, study our many scriptures. We have many, many Shastra scriptures. And then living this Hindu religious lifestyle stimulates the inner sap, if you will, the inner vitality, which we call the Kundalini, Kundalini yoga, which is really the outcome of living this Hindu lifestyle of karma, bhakti, raja, jnana. And within those four classic yogas, we of course have the devotional postures within Hinduism that have been totally distorted by simply the word yoga. It's properly called hatha yoga, devotional postures to Shiva and Vishnu and the, the moon and the sun, respectively. And we also have mantra yoga, another word totally distorted. These are Hindu devotional chants, japa yoga, Hindu devotional chants on beads. And we have Nada Yoga, our Hindu devotional songs, our bhajans, our kirtan. And we have Hindu devotional dance, Nata Yoga, Bharatnatyam, for example. So back to our life game of trying to balance the left and right brain, developing our IQ and our EQ. We're going to look at some concepts in general, obviously using English, which is the common secular language around the world. And then we'll recognize and respect the specifics within the Hindu dharma. And again, this is something that many of us often confuse generalities and specifics. Again, even high intellectuals do this all the time. So, for example, a clear example is that devotion, using English, is obviously a very general term. But mass and puja are very specific. Mass are Christian and very specifically Catholic devotions, whereas puja are Hindu devotions. So it behooves all of us to never confuse generalities and specifics. Which again reflects the inner battle of our left and our right brain, our mono brain and our poly brain, if you will. Monotheists, for example, are very specific in their beliefs to the extreme often. And the universalists are so generalized as the cliche goes, that their brains fall out. So open-minded that their brains fall out. In other words, not recognizing the specifics of life. Making claims like we are all one, no labels, no divisions. Very thoughtless cliches. And again, a knee-jerk reaction to the hard fundamentalist. Again, the wisdom of balancing both left and right brain. Knowing when to follow a one-way, know when to be an inclusive, many-way. Mono versus Pali. Until it becomes mono and Pali. Having a balance of IQ and EQ. 
So first we've decided to work on ourselves, to analyze ourselves, introspection, self-awareness. Service is obviously a vital part of life itself in general. Certainly all religions highlight service. In the Hindu yoga dharma, we call this seva, and also this is our first yoga, karma yoga, which is Hindu ethics and selfless service. And always remember that the word yoga is about yoking to the atmana. This now is the balance point of harmonizing left and right brain, IQ and EQ. For the Atmana now transcends the mind itself, the balanced mind. So Karma Yoga is always the first yoga. So as we go through analytics and work on ourselves, we use wisdom, we use judgment, we use critical thinking. So it makes a lot of sense to really have these definitions down in our mind. Wisdom is actually the ability to discern difference, not sameness. Again, understanding left and right brain, deciding when to go left, when to go right. Judgment is the ability to make wise decisions. So much for the cliche, which is a out-of-balance right brain mindset of do not judge, which is actually a judgment. Judgment is the ability to make wise decisions. Hopefully, we do this on a daily basis, certainly when we get behind the wheel of a car, we want to exercise wise decision-making or sound judgment. Of course, we don't want to erroneously judge and become so overly judgmental or opinionated. But do not judge is a thoughtless right-brain cliché. Ironically, you find this in the yoga movement of today. Now, critical thinking. Obviously, thinking is a good thing to do. And critical thinking is when we really have a serious topic to think about, to discuss. So the definition is beautiful, and every word is pregnant with meaning. Critical thinking is the need to distinguish between rational and irrational beliefs through logic and a thorough testing of the claims made. So again, look how we're starting with the, the left brain, being logical, analytical, rational. This is developing the IQ. And it's not a coincidence that in the Yoga Sutras, again, something that's been so distorted, the first two signs of someone with calm wisdom, and therefore the path to calm wisdom, is to exercise vitarka and vichara, or reason and judgment, vitarka and vichara. So now let's look at, in this definition of critical thinking, the need to distinguish between rational and irrational beliefs through logic and a thorough testing of the claims made. Actually, in the Hindu Yoga Dharma, we have many scriptures, many shastras, and we also have six orthodox systems of Hindu philosophy, one of which is the Yoga Darshana, which means insight, or Yoga Sutras of the Saiva Hindu Guru Patanjali. And that's only one of six philosophies. And interestingly, these six philosophies are inspired by the youthful deity Murugan or Skanda, associated with our heart chakra. In other words, always keeping three qualities together, be a youthful, loving warrior. That's a philosopher. So we could look at our first philosophy or darshana as the Nyaya philosophy or the philosophy of logic, the logic of logic. And because it is logical, 
It should stand pat no matter what language we use. So, for example, in classic logic, we have perception, inference, comparison, and testimony. And we've done other podcasts that go into detail with this, but think about these four things to arrive at a successful conclusion. Perception, inference, that's your afterthought, your homework. Comparison, you compare it with something else. And then finally, testimony. This is also the scientific method. This is found in the Nyaya Darshana within the Hindu Yoga Dharma. Prataksha, Anumana, Upamana, Sabda, respectively. Perception, inference, comparison, testimony. So notice how we're also using some basic math. Basic math skills are all important. This is something we can all practice without the aid of technology. You know, it wasn't that long ago that cashiers had to learn how to add and subtract and give change. That's all done by machine nowadays. So our math skills have become pretty poor. But notice in life how math is the basis of life itself. Things are structured in a step-by-step -step manner. In Hinduism, we call this pade pade, step by step by step, or thread by thread, sutra by sutra. Again, in the yoga, sutra. In order to create a finished fabric, for example, we have to start with one thread and then the next thread and follow a systematic pattern, follow the basic math. So you can do skills like knitting, crocheting, basic math skills, doing puzzles. We find this all throughout Religion in general, as there are ethical codes, there are certain behavior patterns, certain rituals. And rituals are important. Rituals are life itself. That's what makes life meaningful and comforting. Animals rely on rituals. If those of you that have pets, they know when they need to be fed, and you don't want to upset their rituals because it will disturb them. So rituals are very important in life. Of course, they have to make sense to us. Timing is life itself and extremely important. Notice how we can accurately time the sunrise and sunset. Of course, it doesn't rise or set, does it? See the Maya of life? But we can time it. Sunrise 723, precisely. And the more precise we get, we can even determine exactly when it's going to start raining now because of satellite technology. But timing is extremely important in life. And notice in the religions of the world, they often have dance and singing. And obviously music and timing have to go together. Music is a wonderful discipline because it combines both left and right brain, the timing, the structure, the notation, and then also the feeling nature that is music itself. Dance as well, timing. That's why in Hinduism we have the dancer Shiva Nataraja. And every dancer knows, especially when you're dancing with a partner, and to music, you have to have precise timing. In Hinduism, Ganesha is known as the master of timing. In the famous Ganesh Pancharatnam, composed by the Adi Shankara, one of the great Vedantist gurus, he understood the wisdom of beseeching Ganesha, meaning Ganesha is the master of time, of timing. And this is what frees us. Think for a moment when we don't respect time. We don't respect other people's time. It causes chaos. So in Hindu arts, whether it's music or dance, timing is extremely important. 
go to a concert and watch the spontaneous play of the sitar and the damaru and the murdungam and the tabla. Timing is all important. If we look at the study of the Hindu yoga religion, we find things that are structured in a mathematical sequence. We have, for example, the four stages of life, brahmachari, grahasta, vanaprasa, sannyasa. We have the four varnas, sudra, vaishya, kshatriya, brahman. We have our very lifestyle, which is step-by-step, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, raj yoga, jnana yoga, in that order, because they actually follow the growth of a tree, from the roots, karma yoga, to the tree, bhakti yoga, reaching up, to the branching out, the flowers, of Raja Yoga and the fruit of enlightenment, Gyan Yoga, step by step by step. In the Yoga Sutras again, they go sutra by sutra, logically beginning at Sutra 1, but there's a section in the middle called the Astanga portion, which are eight limbs to be followed from 1 to 8, but this has to be preceded by the first pade, the first step of the Yoga Sutras and the first sutra. They're not to be taken apart. This is where the, the chaos actually comes in when we start to take bits and pieces out and we don't follow the step-by-step mathematical patterns of life. When we look at our deities, there's actually a mathematical precision to the deities as we follow the laws of physics from gravity to electricity to magnetism. So for example, we go from Ganapati to Muruga to Shiva Shakti, Ganapati Krishna, Vishnu Lakshmi, Ganapati Hanuman Sitaram, Durga Lakshmi, Saraswati, Kali, Durga Parvati. Using math, step by step, using analytics. And also understanding the words that we say, developing verbal competence. Very important. The words that we say in our various activities of life. In religions, the various rituals that we perform. And in Hinduism, we have so many mantras and slokas. And also now we're starting to incorporate the memory aspect of our IQ, as we learn to memorize things. Very important in life in general to make you feel confident within yourself that you don't always need the aid of Google or the aid of outer books. You have a lot of inner knowledge that's memorized. And it should be meaningful. We don't want to just do rote memorization. But even at that, it helps to develop the muscle of the mind through memory, through recitation. This is what we call smriti in Hinduism a primary factor in developing an in-depth understanding of calm wisdom. Smriti. Look how much memorization goes on in the schooling process. So it's important, obviously, when we're memorizing subject matter that we understand the words that we're saying to the best of our ability. In Jordan Peterson's book on the 12 Rules for Life, One of the rules is obviously being precise in one's speech. And this is extremely important, though obviously we can have casual conversations, but when it comes to really important, in-depth subject matter, we need to be very precise with our language. Again, this is left-brain qualities that the right brain often eschews. We find this in today's massive, spurious yoga movement, that even the very word yoga has been completely misdefined. Remember, all of these words that are misused, yoga, chakras, kundalini, mantra, these are all Sanskrit, and Sanskrit is, by definition, the ancient Arya, or noble, language of the Hindus. And again, Hindus have been often very um, capitulating and complacent, 
and allowed our sacred Hindu terms and concepts to be totally distorted, like Arya, which really has nothing to do with race, and also swastika, which interestingly enough, many people don't realize has nothing to do with Hitler and Germany at all. You can visit the controversy over the swastika and the fact that it was never, that word was never used by the Germans. They used the Hockenkreuz, which was the hooked cross, which actually is associated with Christianity. It's, it's a fantastic discovery. So it's very important that we use words precisely. And we have a famous Rishi in Hinduism, Rishi Kalidasa, who said, Bhagartha Viva Sampritao. Words and their meanings are ever united like a marriage. Of course, in today's divorce culture, sadly, often anything goes, and we become very sloppy with our language. However, the Saiva Hindu Guru Patanjali, again, the Yoga Sutras that are so distorted today, he clearly says, Sabdayana Nupati Vastu Sunyo Vikalpaha. Delusion, Vikalpa, arises in Upati. When you take word, knowledge, Sabdayana, that's devoid, Sunyo, of facts, Vastu. Very telling in that today's yoga movement is so distorted from its original context within the Hindu yoga dharma. So on a daily basis, challenge yourself and memorize something new every day. And also this will help to defeat the onset of dementia and Alzheimer's. Develop that muscle of memory, smriti. And also the IQ development is about spatial recognition. And clearly this is um, being able to see the larger picture. We can kind of see outside the box. It's kind of a detached state. Always a lovingly detached state that is the observer who can clearly see patterns. And this is something that's indicative to the religions of the world as they get an expanded view of not only the material world, but the inner spirit world, if you will. This is bhakti yoga to the Hindus as we have inner visions, imagination. And actually Einstein touted imagination over intellectual advancement. Imagination is extremely important. Imagine it, dream it, then create and relax. Look, for example, at Walt Disney and what his imagination has created. So bhakti yoga now, even though this is an IQ development, it's also tripping over into the EQ, or the emotional area, as we do bhakti yoga. So remember, our goal is to have a beautiful dance of back and forth between the IQ and the EQ, the left brain and the right brain. So wonderful ways to help develop more spatial recognition, jigsaw puzzles, scrabble, anything that makes you think outside the box. So now let's look at some ways to develop our EQ. This is our empathy, compassion, we call karuna in Hinduism. Compassion is an integral part of being a human. Remember, we are basically animal, human, and divine. And it is in our humanity, which is a reflection of our atmana, our inner spirit, if you will. We have compassion for others. And the way to develop compassion is to first develop passion, but good passion. 
In other words, without passion, we never develop compassion. In other words, live life. Be immersed in life. And obviously, we're going to make a lot of mistakes, but try to be immersed in good things. This is where the karma yoga always comes in first, having ethics and selfless service, trying to do the right thing. And then in bhakti yoga, religious devotions, which is religious fervor, we turn up the heat and we feel the passion because it's from passion that we now can feel what another person feels, having gone through that. In AA programs, they'll always tell you that the best one to help an alcoholic is a reformed alcoholic. They were very passionate about their alcoholism, and now they have compassion, having come out the other side, for those that are still going through this problem. And notice how all the religions of the world have their ethical codes of conduct. And again, they're using math and analytics to decide what works for the individual, what works for the community. And a big part of that is the compassion, the outreach to others. And fundamental to developing our EQ is knowing who we are. We look at ourselves as having four bodies, the physical body, mental, emotional, and the soul or the Atmana body. So basically, if we live a life and strive to be ethical, honest, serve other people, if we have devotions, Devotion to ourselves, to our families, to our friends, to our spouse, to our profession, to our religion. If we develop deep concentration, if we keep repeating this process, we will be successful in life. Very simply, we're a success in life when we know ourselves. And remember, the only time we fail is when we truly give up. But we could say that a failure in life is not knowing ourself and letting others define us. Rather, we should let others see the divine in us by working hard and developing our left and our right brain, developing our IQ and our EQ, achieving this sattvic or balanced state Again, always keeping in mind this image of the teeter-totter as we go from left to right, sometimes falling flat on one side, on the other, sometimes being very vainly proud of our IQ, and then sometimes being stuck because we don't have a very highly developed EQ stuck in our emotional nature until we finally find that balance in the middle when we know when to go left and when to go right, using both the IQ and the EQ, using both our analytical nature and then our soft, intuitive, gentle nature, using our masculine nature, using our feminine nature. And now from this balanced point, now we can jump off or jump in to that which transcends the body, mind, and emotions. Hindus call the Atmana, not the mind that pure experience that goes beyond thought, that pure experience of pure consciousness, pure existence, sat, pure energy, chid. 
and light energy, which is both the feeling of light and the experience of inner light, enlightenment, resulting in the warm experience of ananda, or bliss. This is our ultimate goal. In the Hindu Yoga Dharma, we say Atma Darshana Paramo Dharma. Along with all of our very important duties, Dharma in life, the most supreme Param duty, Dharma, is to see or realize Darshana, our Atmana, Atma Darshana Paramo Dharma. And we do this by living life, not being afraid of life. Jump in. Swing left, swing right. Understand the masculine nature and the feminine nature. Do our best to develop our IQ and our EQ. This is the eternal journey that we are all on, the very dance of existence, the dance of particles, the dance of life, the sada lolahara of life, the truth of the swing of life. The dancing Shiva. Dance, prance, send me into a trance, pirouette on my unethical worldliness, spinning it out of sight. Let us join hands and dance. Round and round we go. Love is the only thing we know. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Shanti.